Okay, so we're doing something just a little bit uh, different today. Uh, last week, we asked you if you had questions to go ahead and submit them, and then get this morning, uh, another shot at giving us questions. And so what we're just going to do uh, for the next hour together is just tackle those questions uh, that you gave us. So if, if you came in here today for a sermon, it's going to be a little bit different. It may feel a little bit more like a Bible study, but the part of this that's just totally cool is that some of these things are things that we might not ever get to in a sermon, and so suddenly now we're getting your questions uh, answered for you. Some of them came up so many times, we've actually got sermon series that we're planning out and saying, you know what, we better go spend some time. This isn't four minutes on a Sunday. This is something we better dig into and spend time, and you've had the ability to influence that and help us form that uh, as we move forward. So today, we're just going to take your questions. We're going to dive in. Now, here's the deal. I can just about promise you before I'm said and done, I'm going to offend everybody in the room a couple times. So here's the deal. If, if, if you hear something uh, that you don't like, uh, just send it to the following email, uh, Marty Sawyers. Uh, no. If something gets said and, and you're uh, bothered by it, it's okay. It's okay for you to be bothered by it. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Rather than steaming out of here, rather than going, man, that's not what my grandma told me. And would you go explore Scripture? Would you simply go back to the Bible and say, rather than what I've always been told, and whether the, what maybe or maybe hasn't been tradition for me, uh, I'm going to go back to the Word of God. I'm going to go back to Scripture. And uh, if you find in Scripture that goes, oh my goodness, uh, what I always thought isn't true, what I always believed is inaccurate, then it's incumbent upon you and me to say, look, I better change my mind about that. Because if I'm disagreeing with the Bible, guess who's wrong? Good guess. Okay. And, uh, but if you find something that we say today and you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I think I've got some Scripture here that says something different than what Lynn said up on stage then by all means, write the email. Just back it up biblically. Be sure to put the passages that you think uh, we missed or overlooked or blew past on the deal. Because at the end of the day, guys, who cares what I believe? What we care about is what the Word of God says. So you and I should always be people who are going back to Scripture to compare our beliefs with what God told us uh, is true. Now, every hour today, every service has been different questions. Uh, and this one's uh, like that. And so some of the people are, have actually come back for this hour to hear some things. But let me tell you some things we covered in the first two services because you may want to go online next week and say, well, wait a minute, I want to hear that answer. Uh, we talked about divorce. When is it okay? When is it not okay? What, how do I respond when I've got a spouse? It's just really, really bad. Uh, dinosaurs. Uh, people were deeply concerned about dinosaurs. <laughs> They're dead. I, I, you know, I don't mean to blow your butt, but they're dead. But we talked about that, and where is that? Um, we talked about um, what do you do if you're married to someone who doesn't know Jesus? How do you navigate that well? What do you, how are you supposed to respond to that moment? Uh, we talked about is it okay for a Christian, a guy and a gal, uh, to live together if they're not boyfriend and girlfriend? Is it okay for them just to be in an apartment, you know, because they're trying to share rent, and is that all right? Uh, we talked about degrees of sin, uh, are all sins the same, or are there some sins that are worse than other sins or not? And we talked about that. We talked about the death penalty. Uh, is it biblical? Should people, are there times when people should be put to death? Are we you know, not supposed to do that as Christians? Uh, and we talked about how do we know for sure the Bible is true? So uh, just a, a bunch of stuff that you may want to go back, look at it on uh, video online and catch up. Uh, but today we're going to dive in. We're going to get your questions as best we can uh, that you ask. So here's the first one. Uh, it simply says, uh, my dad wants to know where you buy your shirts. <laughs> really, of all questions, 
that you could have asked. And you, know, you want to hear the worst part about this? The guy asking it is 60, so his dad is 80. <laughs> Buckle. All right. Um, okay, so this, one, this one's made me a little more serious. Uh, my husband committed suicide. Uh, he was a born-again Christian. Some folks say no way he's in heaven, and others say that he must be. Okay? And then we got another one that said, uh, my friend just committed suicide yesterday. Uh, he shot himself. How do I pray for his soul? What does the Bible say about this? This is, this is an interesting conversation, and it, and it comes back uh, every so often. And it's, it's built out of, and guys, really the reason that this is, uh, even comes up as a question for you and me comes out of Catholic tradition. And uh, the thought is simply this, that uh, killing someone, even if it's yourself, is a mortal sin. And because you died in the moment of doing it, you haven't got any opportunity to confess that to a priest and nobody can cover it for you, so you would die in the mortal sin, okay? Here's the simple answer. It's just not biblical. It's just not what Scripture teaches. And again, this is one of those moments where you and I have to come back and say, when the traditions of men clash with the reality and the truth of Scripture, you and I always have to land on Scripture. So grab your Bibles real quick uh, and go with me to 1 John uh, chapter 1. Uh, verse 9. Now, here's the deal. I just want to encourage you, man, use your Bibles today. And if you're here today and you don't have your Bible, then can I just encourage Always, 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 always bring your Bible to service. You want your Bible here. You want to be sure that everything I'm telling you is accurate to Scripture. And one of the most powerful things you can do is follow along and go, whoa, 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 Lynn, I don't think you quoted that right. I think you steered us off to something else. You want to be sure that we are staying true to the Word of God. And one of the best ways to come prepared to church is bring your Bible with you. So I just want to encourage you. I don't care if it's on yourself. I don't care. Just have your Bible with you, okay? Uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 9. Here's what it says. Ready? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from, next word, Next word, all unrighteousness. I wonder what the Bible means when it says all. Is there any chance that it means all? Okay, so think about this. Here's what gets us kind of freaked out, I think, is that somewhere in our minds we get this idea that says, okay, when I became a Christian, God only forgave my past sins and my present sins, but he didn't forgive my future sins because I hadn't committed them yet. Where did we get that idea? Because think about this for a second. When Jesus dies on the cross, and this is a timeline, so he dies on the cross approximately 2,000 years ago. And this is you. When Jesus was dying on the cross for your sins, how many of your sins were in the present? Oh, no, I said that wrong. How many of your sins were in the future? When Jesus is dying on the cross, how many of your sins were in the future? How many? All of them. So as Jesus dies on the cross, he looked at your life, he saw all of your sins, and all of your sins were in the future. So how many of your sins got put on the cross when Jesus died on the cross? All of them. 
And so in that moment when you became a Christian and you said, hey, I want you to forgive me my sins and wash me from unrighteousness, when you did this today, guess how many of those sins were paid for here? All of them. All of them. Past, present, and future. The day you asked Jesus to be your Savior, he took all of your sins and applied them to the cross. Period. Including the last thing. Because guys, think about this. If, if you want to argue for a minute and say, no, 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 Lynn. Jesus only forgave my past sins and he gave, forgave my present sins, but all of my future sins, I have to be sure I confess each of them so that he'll go back and put the new ones on the cross. Think about this for a second. What if you forget one? Wouldn't you hate to get to heaven and they go, no, you ain't getting in. You know, there's that sin you committed when you were six. You know, you lied to the little boy sitting next to you and you never confessed it. That can't possibly be, right? When we ask Jesus to be here, he saves us from all our sin. Or think about this, guys. You live for Jesus. I mean, you live your entire life for Christ. And if you believe that only the sins that you got saved from when you became a Christian were your past sins and your present, and you have to confess all your future sins, you're walking across the street. You look up just in time to see a car speeding your way. And at the last possible second, you say, oh my blankety blank. Dead. And now you get to heaven and God goes, that's so bad, man. You were making it to heaven until the blankety blank part, you know, but you never confess that one, you know. Guys, past, present, future, all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and this idea that someone could commit a sin by the last act of their life and not make it to heaven somehow, has no basis in Scripture. Matter of fact, and I won't make you turn to these passages, but you, you guys might want to write, write it uh, down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, simply says this, And your sins I will remember no more. And you know what's really interesting? You know, we talk about God being all-knowing, but you realize that God has chosen to forget some things? And it's your sin. That when you and I sit here and we've already got our sin under the blood of Jesus Christ, we go, oh God, 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 remember when I was 12 and that horrible thing I did? And he goes, no. No, I chose to forget that. That's no longer there. I have no idea what you're going back and talking about. And then finally, Psalms 103 verse 12 says this. When God removed our sins, he removed them as far as the east is from the west. And I'm just going to tell you that God did not use that phraseology by accident. Because stop and think about this. If God had said that he removed our sins as far as the north was from the south, some turkey would have measured it. See, somebody would have said, okay, north pole, and then they would have walked all the way down to the south pole, and they would have said, oh, you know, God only removed our sins, what, 7,000 miles. God said, I removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? You don't even know how to measure that. And I'm just telling you guys, once you become a follower of Jesus, your sins are taken care of. Now, here's the next question that I would ask. If that's true, then why not, if, if all of my sins are taken care of the minute I become a Christian, why not just go out and live like the devil? Right? I mean, if, if you're telling me, Lynn, the moment I became a Christian, all of my sins were forgiven, why not just go live like the devil? 
Because the Bible says the moment you became a Christian, you became a child of God. And Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's verse 25, says, Be careful, be careful, be careful, because whoever God loves, he spanks. And if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, and you're living like you're not, then you better find some pillows to put on your backside. Because God is a coming, and he is going to spank you until you decide to start behaving like a child of God. Second reason, when you as a Christian live in sin, you break fellowship. You don't break sonship. You don't break daughtership. You don't stop being a child of God. Maybe this will help. If you had a 16-year-old daughter, and at 16 she comes to you and she announces, you know what, I hate being in this family, and I'm going off with my boyfriend, Igor. And Igor is everything that you ever didn't want for your 16-year-old daughter. Uh, he is, he's a biker, uh, he does drugs, he just lives a horrible life. I mean, he's just everything as a parent, and he's 32, okay, <laughs> that you would have never wanted for your 16-year-old daughter. But despite all of your protests, she leaves on the back of Igor's bike, and for years, uh, she goes out, she's doing drugs with this guy, she's partying with this guy, he's passing her around to the rest of the guys in the biker gang. She ends up in prostitution. Which sin is the one that would cause her to stop being your daughter? At which moment, at what day would you say, you are no longer my child? And isn't the answer, there is, that day doesn't exist? There is no day at which she would stop being my daughter. Matter of fact, because I love her, I'd probably be looking out my front window every day hoping she came walking back home. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? That while he was still a long way off, God was standing there waiting for his son to come home. And I'm just going to tell you, you cannot stop being a child of God just because you sin. You can't. But you know what you can do? You can break fellowship. And if you feel like God is a long way away, guess who moved? And if you live a life of sin, I guarantee you will not hear his voice. Uh, he'll feel incredibly distant. You, you'll live in loneliness. And that's why you and I, after we become Christians, confess, because it's the same thing our daughter does when she comes home. Mom, Dad, it was the worst decision of my life. I'm sorry. And I want to come home. She's not trying to be your daughter again. She's trying to be in fellowship again. And it's what Christians, who are the children of God, do after we sin. We come home to fellowship, but not to childhood. Because you can't lose childhood. Okay? It's a great question. All right. Whew. Glad you asked. All right. Here we go. Uh, all right. Uh, what do you consider sexual sin? How far can you go without sinning? Okay. That's a, we got some teenagers right now. Man, they are taking notes. They're going, okay, I want to see. What is that line? What is that? Because I'm, I'm going to do this to that line. I got a big date Friday, and I need this information. Okay. So, 
Let me, let me, let me do my best, okay, uh, to answer this. Okay. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians, if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, you work to the left, you're going to find First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Here's what it says. And guys, I'm just... I am going to encourage all of us that you and I are, should not be worried about how close can we get to sexual immorality, but instead, how can we stay far enough away that it's not an issue, okay? And this isn't some old fogey talking. This is a male who absolutely, absolutely struggles with the same things you struggle with, talking about what's wise, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verse 18, here's what it simply says. You ready? Flee. Flee. Run away from sexual immorality. And then it tells us why. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And somewhere we'll do a Greek study together and we'll look at it. But this word for body, when it says he sins against his body, is not talking about his flesh and blood. It's talking about his personhood. Her personhood is what is sinned against when we sin sexually. And what Scripture is saying here is, guys, here's the deal. When two people are together sexually, it is not flesh rubbing against flesh. It is soul rubbing against soul. Let me just say that again. When two people are together sexually, it is not flesh rubbing against flesh. It is soul rubbing against soul. It's why, guys, I mean, guys, think about it. If, 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 if nothing else helps you to understand that that's the case, I guarantee you that for those of us who have violated this passage and we've gone places we shouldn't have gone with people we shouldn't have gone with, why is it that some of the deepest heartfelt regrets of our lives are sexual sin? I mean, if all it is is two people getting together and satisfying each other physically, why would that spur the deepest regrets of our souls? Because it's not physical. And anybody who tells you it's just physical does not understand that the sexual encounter between a man and a woman is soulish. And you cannot do this and walk away the same. It affects us. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee sexual immorality. All other sins that a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body, his own soulishness. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Right? Think about this. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, where does the Holy Spirit come to live? In our lives. Okay? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is with you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. So think about this. He says, look, you've got to understand, when you get into sexual, you've got to understand something. Your body is not your body. Your body is the temple of Jesus Christ. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So here's the first part, okay? That part ought to just freak you out. 
I, I can remember when I was a little kid, and uh, I, I snuck behind the bushes, and uh, me and two other boys and two other girls, and we were doing kind of the peekaboo game thing. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, I'll show you, you show me. And, and we got done, and then my heart was terrified. My heart was just sick because my grandma had died about a year before. And I thought, oh, no, grandma saw me. Okay? Now, here's the deal. I don't know if grandma saw you or not, but here's the deal. Jesus did. Jesus did. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he was there with you. Jesus did. And he says, furthermore, look, here's the deal. Your body is his temple. It doesn't belong to you, which means, here, young ladies, you have no right to give yourself physically to a man who is not your husband. It is not your body to give. The lie that Satan says, hey, it's my body is absolutely poop. It's not your body if you are a child of Christ. It's his. Men, you have no right to take her body. If you do, you're a thief. And even if she offers to give it to you, you cannot take it because it doesn't belong to her. It belongs to your Savior. And if you take it, you're stealing. Outside of the bonds of marriage. He says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And in case you're questioning, don't do it. And you say, okay, well, how far is too far? How far is all right and not good enough? I used to say, you know what, if, 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 if you need to have clothes on it, you shouldn't touch it. That doesn't work very well anymore. Okay? If her dad cannot touch her there, you can't touch her there. Is that simple enough? If her dad can't touch her there, you have no business touching her there. And if, her, if his mom can't touch him there, you don't touch him there. Keep your hands off until you're married. When you're married, well then, woohoo! But before then, okay? Because you don't have any more right or privilege than his dad, her dad does or his mother does before you're married. After you're married, the Bible, the Bible says, hey, her body no longer belongs to her but belongs to you, and his body no longer belongs to him but belongs to you. But before you're married, you have no right to that. It's not theirs to give. It's not yours to take. Okay? I'm going to push this back one step further because here's the deal. I, I, we get Christian couples all the time. They go, well, when is it technically touching? You know, if they still have their clothes on, you know, I mean, you know, does that count? One more passage. Here we go real quick. 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians, again, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find it. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. First Thessalonians, chapter 4. Starting in verse 3, here's what it says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And all that simply means is, living in a holy way. Sanctified just simply says living in the way that Jesus would want you to live. That's all a sanctified life is. It's a holy life. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And guys, I'm going to say this one more time. This is not because God's approved. Think about it. Who made sex? God did. And a matter of fact, one of the first things he said to Adam and Eve is go be fruitful and multiply. 
which is code for go have a lot of fun. Okay? It's just not outside the bonds of marriage. Okay? That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathens do, who do not know God, and that in this matter neither one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. And that word wrong right there, if you go check it on the Greek, actually means probably for you and I more equivalently, not to defraud their brother. You know what defrauding is? Defrauding is, hey, I've got some land in Florida. And then I sell it to you and you find out it's swamp land. I promised you something that I could not or would not deliver on. And I'm going to tell you that one of the most horrible things that young couples do to each other is defraud one another. And they get out into a makeout session and all of a sudden hormones are flying and everybody's breathing heavy and then you got to go, whoa, 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 I need to try and stop now. Let's put on the brakes. Whoa. And the problem is, you already knew. You went up as close as you could. You tried to see how turned on you could get that other person and then put on the brakes. And the problem is the other person's going, whoa, 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 I want my swamp land. Because <laughs> we pushed them right up there and promised them all sorts of stuff and then said, whoa. And I'm just going to tell you, it's wrong. It's wrong for you and I to set each other up and cause us to desire and lust and want something we cannot righteously have. So here's the deal. I'm not, so I'm not saying that a Christian shouldn't kiss and that they shouldn't show I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that you and I should not intentionally invoke lust in our partner that we cannot righteously fulfill until we're married. Okay? Which is a really good reason why you should always... No, never mind. All right, anyways. So there it is. That's what you got. Uh, if you don't like it, again, Marty Sawyers. Uh, all right, here we go. How much time? Oh, we've got tons of time. Here we go. Uh, whatever happened to Joseph, Jesus' dad? He died. Isn't that probably a pretty good guess? I think he died. All right. No, hey, chances are, I know, I know what the question was. Chan guys, chances are Joseph does pass, and it's probably sometime during Jesus' childhood because you don't hear about him in his adulthood. And, and if he was around, they would have said something. At least they would have said, and the guy was sitting on the couch watching TV. They would have said something about him, but they don't. So chances are he passed away. All right, so here we go. Question about communion. Uh, it says, hey, why don't we take communion as often as we are together? That seems like that would be biblical. And then this one says, why do Protestants believe that the Last Supper elements didn't turn into Jesus' body and blood as Jesus stated, um, and why do they think it's just symbolic? Okay, so here's the answer. The reason is Protestants, which I, I don't even necessarily like that word because I didn't protest against anything. I, I just wanted to have the Bible. But here's the deal. The reason that non-Catholics do not believe that the that the wafer and the communion cup don't turn into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. The reason we don't believe that is because it doesn't. It doesn't. And if, and if, and if you have any doubts about that, and I don't want to be crude about it, but go take communion, and then, you know, when, when it comes out the other end, check it. You know, see, I mean, if, if you've got flesh, you know, and blood coming out, then talk to me about it. But... The reason we don't believe that is because it doesn't. It just, it doesn't. And, and 
I don't believe that any, Jesus did not mean this literally. And here's the deal, anytime you read the Bible, you need to take it literally first. You do, you need to take it literally at first glance until it doesn't make any sense to take it literally. And then when you go, wait a minute, that, that just doesn't even add up. That doesn't make any sense to take that literally. There must be some symbolism here. There must be an analogy going on here that's meant to teach me a lesson. Think about this. Uh, in, uh, in Ephesians, it says, put off the old man with his deeds, put on the new man, which is being renewed in Jesus Christ. So stop and think about that if you take that literally. So you're saying, no, wait a minute. I'm supposed to take the old man that I've been off, and then I'm supposed to start carrying the new man. I didn't know I was doing that. I mean, how would that even make sense? And the answer is, it's not literal. It's figurative. It's saying, take off the old lifestyle that you used to have with all of its behaviors and the things you did that were disobedient to Jesus. Take that off and now start putting on a new man that lives in obedience to Jesus. When the literal doesn't make sense, then you and I have got to say there's got to be some imagery going on here. When you and I get to communion, Jesus isn't asking us to eat his flesh and blood. That's not what he's doing. Uh, he's saying to us, ready? Do this in remembrance of me. When you take this little wafer, and guys, I, I hate to burst your bubble, uh, you realize we bought those saltine crackers at Fry's. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And anybody here think those things taste good? Okay, it's just, it's just a nasty saltine cracker, and it's Welch's grape juice. And I'm just telling you, it is symbolic. It's a moment in which you and I are remembering what Jesus did on the cross. That's the power of communion. Not that a wafer turns into his flesh. That you and I would stop in a moment and say, I never could have made it to heaven without a Savior. And that's why I asked him to come into my life. And so you and I take communion reminding ourselves that we had to ask a Savior to come into our hearts. That's why we do it. It's symbolic. It's all it ever was. The next part of the question, hey, why don't we do it more often? Um, so grab your Bibles really, really quick. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23, here's what it says, okay? This is Paul talking about communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what was also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? remembrance of me do this so that you remember what I'm getting ready to do on the cross in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes clearly symbolic but here's the, here's the other part about it when Jesus took communion when he did this the first time what bread and what cup was he eating? What was the feast that they were celebrating that day? Anybody know? Passover. 
Passover. So when Jesus says, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, whenever you celebrate Passover, think about me. That's what he literally said, right? Which means, how often would you and I take communion? Once a year. You and I take communion about every six weeks together. If anything, if we wanted to get to be, if you want to get really, really, really strict about this, then you and I should take communion one time a year on Passover. We just don't think that that's what Jesus was trying, we don't think Jesus was being that strict about that. He just said, when you do this, remember me. So it's up to us to have freedom, we believe, to say, hey, we're going to do this every so often. We're going to stop and pause and remember Jesus. But you realize that if you want to get to the literal prescription, the literal thing that Jesus commanded, you and I are only commanded to do it once a year. That every time you and I do after that is just something that we've chosen to do, to take time to reflect and honor Jesus Christ. Okay? So what you'll also find is the people who get caught up on trying to take communion every single Sunday, it's because they believe they're being saved by communion. The people who get caught up on taking communion every Sunday is because they think somehow communion is saving them. And you and I will not do that because you and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt communion doesn't save anybody and we're not going to get people confused. So we're not going to take it every Sunday and get people all weirded out and confused and thinking somehow Welch's grape juice gets you to heaven. Okay? It don't. Okay? Jesus gets you to heaven. Okay? So we do it about every six weeks. Glad you asked. MartySawyers.com. Ah, uh, when you feel disconnected from God, how do you reestablish that relationship? And that's a great question. If you feel disconnected from God, how do you reestablish that relationship? So here's the thing that you need to hear me say out loud again, and I kind of touched on earlier. If you feel disconnected from God, guess who moved? Guess who's off track? Because Jesus very clearly simply said this, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? follow me. So if, if you're going through life and if you're taking up your cross and following Jesus, you're going to be connected. You're going to be in communion with Christ. And if you find yourself going, well, wait a minute, God feels way over there and I'm way over here and I wonder why God just left me here. No, 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 no. If you're a long way from God, guess who's the one that moved? Guess who's the one that's out of fellowship in their lives? It ain't God. It's you. So here's my first fact. Number one is simply this. Any moment you feel out of communion with God, the first question you have to ask, am I living in sin? Is there any part of my life that I'm living in knowing disobedience to Jesus Christ? Which, guys, I'm just going to say to you, one of the worst things you can ever do is come to church hear a sermon, be convicted in your heart, and then go, nah, nah, I don't like that passage. I don't like that thing about boyfriends and girlfriends not sleeping together. I don't like that passage about serving in your free time. I don't like that passage about tithing. No, no, no. Let's go to next Sunday when they do a good sermon. No, because here's why. When you hear a message, and that message begins to convict your heart, it's like the Holy Spirit comes up and puts a little slice on your heart. 
It's, you ready for this? It's the Holy Spirit doing surgery. He's, he's trying to teach you. He's trying to grow you. He's brought conviction to your heart. You have an option at that moment. One option is to respond with obedience. When you do that, your heart gets renewed and refreshed. And you ready? Ready? And gets soft. But when you say, I don't like that. I, I don't like that passage. I don't like what the Bible says about that. I don't like that the Bible says honor my parent. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to do it. Hey, what happens when your body gets a cut and it begins to heal up, especially if it's a big cut? Anybody got any scars? You know what a scar is. A scar is your body saying, ouch, I did not like that experience. I'm going to make sure I never get cut there again, so I'm going to fill it back in with tougher skin. Did you know that your spirit does that same thing in your heart? And when you come to a place in which the Holy Spirit has talked to you about something, and you say, no, I think I'll just pass. I think I'll wait 10 more years till I'm too old to have fun, and then I'll obey that. When you do that, you create spiritual scar tissue in your life. Because what your heart and your spirit begin to say is, I don't ever want to be convicted about that again. I don't ever want to feel as bad as I do today walking out of church. And instead of your heart becoming softer and healing, ready? The Bible says your heart becomes hard. That's why the Bible calls some people hard-hearted. It's a scar tissue. And you do that about enough things, you have enough places where you go, you know what, I don't like what God says about that, and I, I really don't think it's necessary to obey that. And do you realize how old the Bible is? I mean, I guarantee God wasn't thinking about my girlfriend. And no, there's just, there's just there's no way that, and, and my boss, are you kidding me? My boss, God doesn't, you know, there's no way. You, you get what happens to your heart. And you will cover your spirit with scar tissue. And one day you'll say, where did God go? Because I don't feel his presence anymore. And it's this. It's your hard heart. It's your heart of perpetual disobedience that no longer feels the conviction of the Spirit. Matter of fact, I, I, you know, Scripture talks about someone even getting to the point of a reprobate mind. What's a reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is someone who no longer can hear or feel convicted. I don't hear anything anymore. So, the first question you got to ask is, is there any place in my life that I know, I know what Scripture says I should do this, and I've just said no, not now, not till late. If, if that's true, well, no wonder God seems a long way away. It's the hardness of your heart. And the best thing you can do, you ready for this? Is come back in confession and repentance and say, God, you need to remove that scar tissue. I'm going to now begin to obey what you asked me to do 10 years ago. And, and I've been waiting all this time. And the cool part about it is, is that if you and I actually respond in obedience, God can remove scar tissue from your heart. He can. And your heart can become soft again. All right. Oof. 
Okay, I'm going to do one super, 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 super fast just because it was so cool and we're almost out of time. All right, here we go. Can we do one more real quick? All right, all right, thank you. <clears throat> I was going to do it anyways, but thank you. All right. Uh, <laughs> ghost hunters. Uh, are they talking to dead people's spirits? Have you guys seen this on TV? I mean, everything's right now. Woo, look at this. There's a ghost. Wow. Do ghosts show up on electronic? That's so weird. Okay. Uh, are they real? Is it true? Are we opening ourselves up to something spiritual that's like going to cause you know, us problems? And, um, and is it okay for Christians to believe in ghosts? We asked this multiple times. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, grab your Bibles. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 20. So almost in the front of your Bible. Leviticus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Now, here's the real quick part, pass, and we're going to fly through it, and then we'll talk. Here's what you need to know. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. If you die, you do not hang out here. You had all your chances here. You're done, okay? And you are either in heaven or you are in a less desirable place where the thermostat does not work, okay? Those are the only two options. There is no in-between option. So let me just say this again. Can I say this again? There are no such things as disembodied spirits running around this world. There aren't. You only have two options after death. Be with Jesus or be in the other place. Okay? That's the only options you've got. You do not have aunts and uncles running around trying to remind you to pay the utility bill. It, you don't have that. It's not possible, okay? Matter of fact, stop and think about this, and you guys can go look. In the book of Luke, there's a time when Lazarus, a real man, this was not a parable, a real man dies. He's a beggar sitting outside the house of a rich man. The rich man also dies. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. The rich man is in hell. The rich man looks across the gulf and says, hey, Abraham, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers not to come to hell. And here's what Abraham says. He cannot go back. He cannot go back. And even if he could, they wouldn't believe him. But he can't go back. And I'm just telling you, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one besides one person that we know biblically has talked to a dead person coming back. Well, other than some people talked to Jesus when he came back. So, but other than that, no, okay? It does not happen. It's not available. Okay, matter of fact, here we go, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, you ready? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, here's what God says. I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums. What's a medium? Someone who's supposed to be standing between us and the spirit world and helping us talk to spirits. And God says, I'll set my face against those people who say they do that, and against spiritists who prostitute themselves... By following them. Saying, look, look, you're supposed to be the followers of God. What are you doing following spirits? Because even if it was true, why would you? Think about that. Your Uncle Fred dies. How smart was Uncle Fred while he was here on the earth? Can we just be honest? Uncle Fred was dumb. Why do you want to talk to him now? You and I are Christians and have the right to talk to Jesus Christ himself. Why would you talk to Uncle Fred? He doesn't know any more than he did when he was here. You ready for this? 
those who prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from this people. I think God's being pretty clear and says, do not have anything to do with spiritists and people who are telling you they're talking to the dead. Because here's the answer. You want to get it? There's only one of two options when someone says they're talking to the dead because it's not possible to talk to the dead. So they are either fakers. They've got some projector in the back room and a little smoke machine going, and they're faking it, and they're just going to take your money faking it. Or are you ready for this? Anyone here hear the more scary answer? They're not faking it. And that there actually is a spiritual enemy entity in the room. But you need to know it's not Uncle Fred. It's demonic. And if you get somewhere and, it's, and there's legitimately something spiritual happening in that room, it ain't Uncle Fred. And you do not want to be talking to that spirit. Because it's demonic. Okay? Matter of fact, and we'll close with this. Grab me one more passage really, really quick. Just a few pages over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 28. And guys, I'm just going to say to you, I'm going to say this out loud. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I will not watch those shows. Because there is nothing good that can come from them. There is nothing good that can come from them. Because they're either they're faking it or they're in contact with the demonic. Why would I ever subject myself to that? I will not read an astrology because it is either fake or it is demonic. I'm hard-pressed to read a fortune cookie, okay? And that's usually you will meet a nice person someday, okay? So here we go. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Interesting story. We'll go through it real quick and then we'll be done. Ready? 1 Samuel chapter 28. This is King Saul. He's trying Okay, to contact Samuel, the prophet who has already died, and to have a conversation with him because he's not sure what to do next. So he goes to a fortune teller. He goes to a medium. And the interesting thing is how she responds because you ready for this? It's the one time someone is allowed to come back from the dead, and it freaks her out. You know why it freaks her out? Because in all the time she's been a medium, she's never had anyone come back from the dead. She's always dealt with demons before this. Here we go. It's 1 Samuel chapter 28, starting in verse 9. But the woman, the medium, said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. Now, here's the interesting part. It's actually Saul asking her to contact Samuel. He's just in disguise, and she doesn't know that it's Saul. It's surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off all the mediums and all the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul, in disguise, swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be put to death for this. Then the woman asked, who shall I bring up for you? Saul says to her, bring up Samuel, he said. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, you've deceived me, you're Saul. Why did seeing Samuel freak her out? You ready? Because nobody had ever come back from the dead before. She knew that she knew that she knew she had always talked to demons before that. And when finally the real person came back, it freaked her out. So here's the answer. Stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away. You're a child of Christ. You have no business messing with spiritists and mediums. The heavenly, the God of heaven is willing to direct your life. Why would you ask Uncle Fred? Stay away, stay away, stay away. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll take off.
just want to say it again with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. You may have heard some stuff and it may have bothered you real deeply today. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Go look in your Bible. Find out if what we said to each other was true and accurate. And if it was, then straighten it out in your life. If it wasn't, write the email. But show me scripture. Show me in the Bible where you think we missed it. Okay? And we'll, we'll talk about it together. Dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to the moment. And we are absolutely committed as your children to following the word of God. To doing what you've told us to do. And to bringing our lives into alignment. And so we're just going to say today that even if what we heard today bothered us a little bit, we're going to go study scripture. We're going to go look and find out what's true. And then when we find that, we're going to live in obedience to you. We're not going to argue. We're not going to throw fits. We're simply going to bring our lives into conformity and obedience to the Bible. And God, this is our promise. In Jesus' precious name.